Welcome to the Inspiration Accelerator, hosted by Michael Sonberg, founder and CEO of Rebel Culture and Skyrocket Education. Each week, we'll talk to a different, inspiring person in the world of leadership, personal development, career, family, fitness, and beyond. Buckle up for the Inspiration Accelerator. All right, welcome everybody to a new episode of the Inspiration Accelerator. Michael Sonbert here, as always, with an incredible, inspiring, amazing, passionate guest. His name is Michael Goldberg. He's going to be coming out in a few minutes. But before we get to Michael, I want to just share, as I do every episode, something that I've either seen or read or learned recently that is inspiring, that I hope inspires you as well. I was looking up at the night sky the other night. And I have this app on my phone, and I think everybody should get this app. I'm pretty sure it's free. It's called Sky Guide, two words, sky and then guide. And what it does is it has a map of the entire, uh, the entire nighttime sky and all the constellations. And so what you do is you take Sky Guide out, and you hold it at a certain point in the sky, and you hit the compass button on it, and it orients itself. And now it tells you exactly what you're looking for. And I'm fascinated by this. And I'm always the person who's like telling my kids, like, check that out. Do you know what that is? And they're like, what is it? I'm like, that's Venus. Check that out. Do you know what that is? Like, that's Beetlejuice, the star, right? And so it's the coolest, it's the coolest app. Uh, and I can't recommend it enough. The, the sky has to be clear. And sometimes when it's cloudy, it's not the best. Uh, but the other night, I'm looking at the sky and I'm looking at all these stars that are, you know, light years away, hundreds of light years away uh, in some cases. And I see the planet Jupiter, which is like, right, it's really right next door. I mean, there's Mars, sure. And then there's an asteroid belt, but then there's Jupiter. And so I'm talking to my brother-in-law and I said, how long do you think it takes to get to Jupiter? He's like, I don't know, let's look it up. And we both guessed around like two or three years. It turns out it takes six years to get there. Uh, and so there and back is round trip is 12 years and that's, uh, older than any of my kids are. And it is, um, uh, longer than I've been married and, uh, 12 years is like, is like a long time. And there it's really, it's, it's not right next door, but it's, it's two, it's two houses away. Right. And I just said to my brother-in-law, like, man, like, look at like the size of everything. Right. And what, what the heck are we arguing about, right? We're arguing about, we're, we're, we're honking at people on the highway. Not everybody, some of us are, right? We're honking at people on the highway. We're stressed about this thing. We're arguing about politics. Like it, we're so infinitesimally small, right? That, that it, it would take 12 years to go round trip to our, uh, our, our neighbor two doors down. And, uh, and it just was a reminder, man. It was a reminder to like get present to how big everything is how tiny, tiny, tiny we are and how our, our, our concerns about unimportant things. I'm not talking about important things. Somebody gets sick, you're having financial trouble. Like, I get that. But like stuff that really doesn't matter, like who loaded the dishwasher last um, or, you know, like uh, trying to get the last word in in an argument. Man, I just it was a great reminder for me that that shit just doesn't matter. So I hope that uh, resonates with you all. If it doesn't, that's cool. Get Sky Guide regardless. It is an awesome app, and uh, I hope you use it. Uh, folks, I am thrilled to bring out today's 
guest. Uh, his name is Michael Goldberg. He is the former CEO of one of the largest hospitals in New York State. He's the founder of a company called Walk Alongside Leader. He's a marathon runner. He's an avid traveler. Just recently, he's been to Machu Picchu and Antarctica. Uh, and he's just an all-around awesome dude. And I'm excited for him to join us on the Inspiration Accelerator. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm excited to chat with you. And I want to get started here, man. You were the CEO of the second, uh, second largest hospital in New York State. Is that accurate? Second largest hospital based on the number of beds, yeah. Based on the number of beds. How many employees were, how many employees were you ma- uh, kind of managing at that point? Or how many employees did you have on your team? Uh, directly at the hospital were 6,000 employees plus another 4,000 physicians who had privileges at the, at the hospital. And then, um, and then the way that matrix organizations work, there were a, a lot of employees who worked physically in the building but didn't necessarily directly have a, a line up to me, but uh, I, I always viewed everybody that had something to do with uh, with our hospital as being somebody that was an important stakeholder for us to make sure their needs were being met and we were able to care for them, just as if they were an employee that worked directly on our, our P&L. Okay, so let's just get clear here, because we have a lot of leaders listening uh, to this show, and I'm a leader myself, which you know, and I have about... 15 people who work for me. And what I'm hearing from you is we've got uh, north of 10,000 people who you are in, in a lot of ways responsible for. I mean, not in a lot of ways, in all ways, right? At least right. at work. Michael, what was that like? And was there ever a point where you're like, holy crap, what am I? what have I gotten myself into? Talk about that. Well, every single day. Uh, I will start with the second part first, but not like... Not from the perspective of what have I gotten myself into, but how lucky am I to pull up to this incredible place every single day and know that it was filled with thousands of people who were there for a common purpose, which I can't believe that there's another one out there much more noble, which is to care for another human being. And, Mm. And regardless of what the job was, that somebody held, you know, you could be an environmental services worker, an engineer, an electrician, a, a patient care associate, nurse, doctor, surgeon, anesthesia. It does. It doesn't matter. There's thousands of different jobs. Every single person there was focused on one thing, and that was to provide the safest, most effective, most efficient care for the people coming there in their time of need, and and to do it as an incredible team. And that was that was a you know, I got a pinch myself moment every single day that I drove up to the hospital. This is this is incredible, Michael, because I think that something I'm actually personally working on in my own life is around expressing gratitude and not just for the for the big things, uh, but for the little things as well. Right. Just uh, heat in my house and uh, a warm bed to sleep in at night. And, uh, you know, just and, and you know, I've. I've I've shared on the show, you know, my, my son, Teddy and, and his autism. And, you know, the other day he smiled at me and I swear, like he actually, like, it was a genuine, like I, dad, I heard you. And I think what you said is funny and I'm smiling a smile and I'm, I'm 
I felt so grateful for it. And I'm trying to work on my gratitude. Sounds like that was something like a real practice for you, like this idea of gratitude every time you showed up. And where does that come from? Have you always been like that? Or is this like something you had to like teach yourself to do? It's an excellent question. And um, and number one, that's a beautiful moment with Teddy. And, uh, and I can only imagine how it made you feel. Thanks, I man. think, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking and reflecting lately on, you know, how um, how I became the leader that I, that I am, where some of my ideas and ideals have, have come from. I think a lot of it has come from uh, my my father and and watching him mm. run a family business growing up, and mm. as a matter of fact, expecting to be the person who would take it over from him and, and lead it in the fourth generation of our family. But but the that wasn't in the cards for us. And so, um, you know, I think being you know a reflective person and seeing you know how quickly things in life can change, um, whether they're intended changes that you sought out or or otherwise. And ref- reflecting on the fact that um, we're all incredibly grateful, right? You started off <clears throat> talking about how small we are in comparison to the night sky. And, and that to me is all about perspective, right? Mm. And, and I think too often, excuse me, we have these moments where we get into our routines, we get into our, um, our daily activities, and, you know, we stop, we, we forget to stop. And reflect on all that we that we have, uh, all that we should be grateful for, and um, and all the people around us who support us through those those journeys. And whether it's the hardest day at work um, that you're going through with your team, or it is you know the the best day at home, it, there's always somebody around who is helping you you know through that that journey. And um, and there's just so much to be grateful for, for, for each and every one of the people that are in our lives. And, and that's the way I approached it, right? I, there's, you know, 10,000 team members that I had the, the honor to lead where life depends on it, literally, right? For, for the people coming in um, that were sick or, um, or for happy occasions, having, you know, having babies and, mm. um, and, you know, whether, you know, it was, it was, um, uh, a, a positive reason that brought them into the hospital or otherwise every single one of the people coming in was asking for a miracle in one way or another. And, mm. and I was surrounded by the people providing those miracles and mm. you know, what, what a better place to be. Right. Wow. Uh, that was so beautifully and powerfully said, and it really is. It's uh, it is, it is so true, man. And I don't, I don't have a fraction of your experience with it, but that idea that everybody in that hospital is, is, is hoping for a miracle, praying for a miracle, and that, that you all and those, the people who are who are there for them are the other miracle workers. It's really, that's incredible, Michael. Talk, talk to me about and talk to us about challenges. We're talking about gratitude here, and that's awesome. Uh, talk to me about times when or places when you were like, who the heck do I think I am? I can't, I've got 10,000 people who are looking at me to make the right call. Or did you not have instances like that? And if not, t- tell us, tell us how you, how you did. Our folks would love to learn, learn about this. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, I had many of those moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I don't have a medical background. Uh, as a matter of fact, I failed biology in 10th grade. Oh, and oh, here, I am, here I am leading a hospital, right? Where the, the basis for 
just about everything being performed is science, right? And um, and and a lot of art with the the leadership aspect and how you treat people. But um, it required a lot of my my uh, understanding of the people and uh, learning from them. You know, I like to say that the people that I was surrounded with were the greatest professors I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and I'd also like to say if I could retake that tenth grade biology class, I'd probably pass it now. Oh yeah, um, definitely you'd nail it. But um, <laughs> but but I I think you know from the standpoint of challenges, I was thirty six years old, leading the second largest hospital in New York State, and um, you know that's a that's a career ending job for most people. Meaning like people will work 40, 50 years in their lifetime to achieve um getting into that kind of a role and and what comes with that when you do it at such a young age is a lot of um question around your ability your knowledge yeah. your background your expertise mm-hmm. and um and the way that i i approached a lot of that was to ask a lot of questions right mm-hmm. get to know people get to understand who they are not just at work but outside of work what interests them how did they get into their field express interest. And one of the things that I did tremendous, uh, tremendous amount of time at the hospital was I would shadow people, right? The best way for me to understand and learn and, and see where I could potentially help people was to go out and see what they do in their work environment. And knowing that I hadn't grown up in a hospital setting, I grew up in healthcare, but not in a hospital setting. I was in a corporate mm-hmm. office most of my, my early part of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, getting and seeing the patient interactions, getting out and seeing what took place throughout the different clinical areas of a, of a hospital or uh, the operational areas, and then bringing that back with that knowledge and that understanding to figure out how I can help everybody else do their job more effectively and in a way that was more rewarding to them was um, probably the way that I overcame my challenges. Uh, well, I, I learned. Oh, go, oh, go ahead, please. Sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. I was going to say I learned a tremendous amount by doing so, and and the other thing that took place, which um, I caught on to pretty quickly, but wasn't intended, was the amount of trust and relationships I was building with with team members throughout the hospital. It's a different type of a thing if you could picture undercover boss, but not undercover, uh, <laughs> where where the boss is getting welcomed in. And 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 shadowing people for an entire shift, whether it's a clinical shift or or not, but also having you know never never crossing the line of what I was allowed to do legally or not, what sure. competent to do, but certainly being there in the room to um to learn what that what they do and and you know it really built my respect for the team by doing so in a in a new way as well. That's really that's uh, that makes a ton of sense to me, and it's a perfect segue to to your company. Uh, walk alongside leader where you are coaching people to actually coaching leaders to walk alongside their teams. Can you talk about walk alongside leader? What, what, why'd you start it and what you all do with, with leaders uh, in that role? Yeah. So very, very similar in building off of what we were just talking about. I believe that there's um, again, a routine that we get into as leaders that grow in organizations where um we get into our routine, right? And, and every leader has another leader that they report to. And so you've got your, your expectations, your goals, your mandates, the things that you need to achieve, and they can be all consuming. And when they are, it's a challenge 
to remember the most important aspect of your job, which is to connect with your team and see the organization, not only from the 30,000 foot level, but from their perspective as well, right? What's the impact of the decisions that you're making? What's the impact of the decisions? Excuse me one second, Mike. Sorry about that. What's the impact of the decisions that are being, you know, potentially imposed upon from corporate strategies? How have the uh, processes that you put in place in a hospital setting specifically to arguably make things uh, safer, are they working? And are your people happy with their experience coming to work at your location, your company every day? And, and um, in healthcare specifically, and on one of these statistics, I've seen uh, the the numbers show that one in five people in the last two years have left healthcare. And there's a whole lot of reasons and factors for that. As you can imagine, you know, living through a pandemic uh, has one set of stresses that it puts on people. But but there's something else behind it too that you know an industry loses that percentage of people. I think that there's a an opportunity to re um, to review again leadership. And and make sure that the the incentives are truly aligned for leaders to be leaders, to be caring, and to be understanding for the experience that their team members have. And so I developed Walk Alongside Leader in order to help coach organizations on remembering what the what the um, what the basis for their success really is, and that's their people, whatever their industry. And, uh, and, you know, we've seen a tremendous amount of change over the last several years with remote working, people coming into offices, what people want to do, people leaving for different types of gig economies and um, side gigs and other opportunities. And, and I think that what's at the heart of that are people looking to align with good leaders where they feel incredibly valued, respected, and appreciated and I think that if we can redefine that aspect of leadership and reprioritize what goes on in the corner office to care more again about what goes on at the at the front lines of their organization, you'll see um, a little bit more of a change back into a corporate a corporate culture in a positive way. So, Michael, why? Uh, and I agree with you that leaders need to walk alongside their people. Uh, why aren't they? Uh, and I have some pretty strong, strong thoughts here, but I want to hear from you. What, why aren't, and I know, I know that there are multiple reasons, but why aren't leaders, uh, why isn't this a best practice for folks or why aren't they doing it routinely? Well, I think, as you said, it's multifactorial. And, um, one, one reason which I mentioned before is that they just get consumed in their goals and, uh, their meetings and the things that they, you know, have delegated for others to be able to to maintain and manage in their organization. Um, I think that's that's a a big part of it. I think the other part is it's not while it's an expectation of results, it's not an expectation of of them as leaders to be fully in, engaged with their team. Mm. Um, I think for some people, it's a safer space. Um, to just to 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 create the levels of people in between so that the decisions that they make are not as personal as knowing that uh this decision that you're going to make is going to impact John 
right? And you see John every day when you pass him in the lobby or in the hallway and and know that whatever you're going to make of a, a policy change is, you know, going to hurt John, right? And and also yeah. John's family that he tells you about every time that you see him. And and mm. I think when you personalize who your team are, it makes you think differently about the decisions that you make. And um, and that's a really important attribute for leadership. And And so to me, I see walking alongside your team or interacting with your team as the place you start. Yeah. Right? That's the place where, you know, you need to be. And, um, you know, whether that, that for me was specifically creating opportunities to shadow team members for days, you know, a, a year, right. Days and days a year for full shifts, by the way, showing up at the same time they would show up for their shift and leaving at the same time they leave. And then, um, and then going, you know, going home after a 12 hour shift and doing the work that I didn't get done during that day. Right. Um, or, or it was as simple as um, going to the coffee shop to get coffee, right? Most of the time, I don't even drink coffee, but I would go because that's where the people were, right? And the, the, the conversations that you'd have while waiting online with somebody to order a cup of coffee or, you know, an egg sandwich were some of the most powerful conversations that you can imagine, Um that that really in, impacted how I would lead and decisions that I would make and understanding of of what was working with our team and what they needed uh, more more you know more regularly than than not. Yeah, and I think uh, this is this is great, uh, and I, I love that just kind of going to the coffee shop, but you don't even drink coffee, right? And you know, sometimes I had a, a I got some great coaching years ago when I got promoted to a. Another job. I wasn't the leader of a of a of an organization or even a team, but I'd kind of gone one step up from some folks I used to work with. And uh, my new boss told me, "Hey, like, be careful. You you uh you know you cast a really big shadow right now, and you're you're not necessarily aware of like how much weight your words have and how much of, of you know an impact your kind of interactions have." And so I imagine. When you're in the coffee shop, uh, just having chats with people, there are their their heart rates are are up and their palms are sweating. I'm talking to the the big boss here, and what you do when you do something like that is you humanize yourself. You can't change the way somebody uh, you you can change the way somebody perceives you. I, I think that you're not going to change the fact that people see you as the boss, and and they should, um, but. Man, that's what a great way to humanize yourself to let folks know, like, we're like, we're in this together. You're grabbing a, a cup of coffee that, as you said, you're probably not even going to drink. But people are like, hey, like, yo, like, you know, Michael Goldberg gets it, right? He gets me. Like, we had a good talk. He's a, he's a good dude. I imagine, right? There are all these little interactions that you had with people over the years that then they told their friends about and they, they told their colleagues about. And that they told her, hey, Goldberg did a 12-hour shift in the emergency room with us last night. Can you believe that? No other leader has ever done that. And that that stuff starts to build up your credibility and starts to get people much more receptive to you as a leader along the way, right? A hundred percent, right? And 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 I didn't do it for you know any any nefarious reasons in, in any sure. way, right? I did it 100 percent to truly understand 
what the team was was working with and how they were you know managing with what they had and and you know in many cases i was actually in the position where i'd see things that they needed and whether it was because they didn't know the right process to ask or they didn't know how to put a business plan together for justifying something they needed whether i was the cfo or i was the in the ceo role i would basically do both sides of the analysis right i would i would observe the opportunity for what they needed and then i'd put the plan together with our team and then talk to them about what are the benefits that they think we would achieve by you know adding resources in in some way and then um i give it to them yeah i would i would provide the resources whether it was equipment or people and then and then one of the things that you know became a byproduct of of these days where I was out walking and and shadowing team members was not only was I out there to just see, but I was taking notice. And then I was following up and I was providing them with additional resources to make their experience at work more rewarding mm. without them even asking for it. Right. But mm. but knowing that it was something that they needed. And so, you know, I couldn't ever provide everything that everybody wanted or the things that I observed, but you know, we'd be very calculated and, and I'd work with the senior leadership team to prioritize the most impactful things um, and, and provide them. And so um, I, I imagine, though, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Michael, but I imagine though that even when you couldn't come through for somebody because you'd shown I've walked alongside you, I've been in your shoes, I've learned from you, I'm hearing you really clearly around the things that you need uh, and I can't provide it. but you know, folks in any organization talk, even an organization at that side, at that, at that size rather. But they know that you were able to come through for X, Y, and Z groups and not able to do it for, you know, A, B, and C groups for, for you know, really like legitimate reasons that I'm sure you all were transparent about. I imagine there was still like a credibility builder there, right? You mentioned the like the core, like the person in the corner office. And I don't think enough leaders get out regardless of their field, get out, show their face, know people's names, shake hands if that's your thing, find out what, what makes people tick, hear their, hear their concerns, not in a, uh, uh, you know, we're going to, this is a complaint session type thing, but in just like, I really want to learn what your experience is like. And even when you can't come through for people, you're still showing that. And, and again, to your point, not because you're trying to like, uh, you know, uh, do some sort of Jedi mind trick on someone to get them to think you're a good boss or get them to like you, but to genuinely get greater results because folks are seeing the boss as somebody who is walking alongside them, does get their challenges. And that's an incredibly powerful thing that you did, Michael, and something that, you know, I know that I'm, I want to do better at. And I imagine for leaders listening, and by the way, I know we have a lot of educators listening. And sometimes I talk to educators who say, like, I have 30, 30 teachers, or I have 50 teachers, or I have 80 staff members, or I have 12 staff members. Now, granted, there are kids in schools, so there's sometimes 700, 1,000, 3,000. Right. But, but, but in your home, I mean, you, you, you had 10,000 people on your team. I know you didn't get to shadow every single one of them. That probably wouldn't be feasible, but like you're doing this with a huge group of employees. This is a doable thing to walk alongside people, right? 
I, it's a hundred percent doable, and I think it's it should be a hundred percent mandatory. Um, yeah. And to answer, you know, some of your observations, I'll just say I hope so. Right. From my perspective, I hope that that's the impact that I I made on the team, and um, uh, you know, and and the culture that I built. You know, one of the other unique ways that I walked alongside them, and I know you know this, Michael, is I connected with them on social media. Mm -hmm. Right. And I utilized my social media channel, which I created almost um, in large part to just recognize employees for the great work that they were doing. Right. They they do heroic work each and every day in in healthcare. And again, I I said it's one of the most, you know, um, highest value roles that you can have in in life. And um, it's right up there with education. And, Mm -hmm. And I wanted the team that was providing this care to um to be recognized for it not just not just by their managers and their peers but you know by the world and and then that grew rather significantly and and that walking alongside on social media in addition to being in person became a very powerful tool for me to communicate with them on a weekly basis where i hosted uh basically a a, a live not live I, I i hosted a town hall every week for 15 months uh, all through the pandemic. And I was able to answer team members' questions. I was getting questions from their families. I was getting questions mm. from the media, questions from politicians, questions from celebrities, um, all with people just interested in knowing, you know, what do we need, what do we need to do to survive? What does the team need to be supported? And uh, what information do we have that was available to share? And and I kept that going for 15 months. And wow. um wow. And it made a, I think, a very sizable difference in, um, not only my organization but beyond. Listen, folks, Goldberg is kicking some kicking some knowledge your way here. All right, you got to walk alongside your folks. Uh, and he he shared. I had a leader recently tell me that um, you know it's it's hard to do the things you're asking because at the end of the day, I have so much of my own work to do. Um, that it it gets uh, really challenging. And look, I get it. Uh, I want to spend time with my my wife and kids at the end of the day too. But um, you know, listen to Michael Goldberg here, right? Like to do a twelve hour shift with somebody else and then come back and do all of his work after after hours to to make the team as successful as possible. Now, we're not saying that you can't have a life to be a great leader um, because you can, but but. But what what an awesome sacrifice there and what a way to show your folks. And I would would argue, Michael, that we all know that there's waste in our days that we just wish that we could change. Right. And so, you know, how many meetings do people sit through where you're like, well, that was a waste of time that that could have been a phone call that could have been a text. Right. Think about those. And then reprioritize and re-strategize where you can, because you know we're not always in control of our schedules, where you can, the things that you can control, so that you can start with the prioritization of you know, supporting your team. That's great. I love it. I love it. Great coaching, Michael. Let's uh, pivot here. You're also a, a, a fitness. I don't know if I can call you a fitness. Can I call you a fitness buff, a health buff? Is that is that fair? Is I that guess. fair to call I, you that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can't think of another word. So um. <laughs> talk to us, man. Avid hiker, marathon runner, 
what uh it's easier i just ran my first marathon which congratulations they're probably thank you man they're probably sick to hear me talk about it on here i'm still uh trying to internalize it i haven't put it up on social media or anything which you know nothing exists until you actually put it on social (laughs) media so uh, i'll do that next but um talk to me like what it's easier to sit on the couch all right like i think it's easier right like people don't uh, I, I hope they don't look at uh, you or, or me and, and think that we just wake up in the morning and say, uh, you know, uh, getting in shape is easy or uh, running 10 miles is easy. Like it's, it's not, it's a challenge. So what, Michael, is your motivation to get out and, and go for a run or go for a hike or do a, do a marathon or something like that? What's the motivation for it? Uh, well, I think the first one, is to live, right? Mm-hmm. To live and experience life. Um, and to do it as long as possible with my family. And so, uh, you know, when I got to, I'll, I'll take it back to the hospital briefly, when I got to transition from working in corporate of a healthcare organization to being the CFO, that's how I made my way into a hospital. Um, I was 40 pounds heavier than I am now. Wow. wow. And, uh, and, and one of the first things I did while learning the job was to uh, join Weight Watchers and and change my you know my health, but but it was very quick that I made that decision, and it was because within three months of being on site in a hospital, again uh, right away from the start, I was out learning as much of the the business as possible and not being in my office working on spreadsheets and finance, and and I was talking to a lot of clinicians just in in three months asking them about patient situations, right? How does, you know, how does this person um, do well? How does this person not do well? And every single person that I've spoken to, every single clinician, every single physician basically told me the same thing. If you reduce your BMI, you will reduce your comorbidities, your diabetes, your hypertension, and you will have the best chance of surviving when something um unexpected happens to you from a health perspective. Mm. And, um, and, and, and then when I started to watch some of the outcomes in the hospital and the people who didn't do well, they were the people who hadn't made healthier life choices. And so I very quickly joined Weight Watchers, lost 40 pounds. I've kept off the same 40 pounds now for 13, 14 years. And um, although my journey in health has evolved since then, started with eating, learning a little bit about nutrition. And then getting into physical fitness um when i when i got a peloton and started cycling and yeah. then you know built off of that to working with a personal trainer virtually on um uh through facetime and this is before this is before you know the the world shut down and everybody started doing it uh i worked yeah. innovative trainer to begin with she got me in the best shape of my life and then mm. i was um looking at marathon runners and thinking you know, I've never been a runner. I've never liked running. I've never liked to be that physically active. But I think if there's ever a point in my life where I could take on that opportunity to try and tackle it, it would be now. And I literally went while I was functionally working out, I literally went from the couch to running a marathon, very similar to you. Um, Mm -hmm. I gave myself a training plan, continued to work with a trainer. And that was my bucket list, right? That was, let's see what I can do from a a physical perspective. What can I mentally endure? Because again, as you know, you know, you go through a transformation when you're training for, and then ultimately running the marathon on that day. 
and um, and completed it. And then uh, then the pandemic hit, and that was a marathon of sorts in in some yeah. other way. But uh, then I was I was invited to run the marathon, New York City Marathon, again for the second time in 2021, and it was Labor Day, and again very similar to you, where you had you know little, little time to train. Uh, I hadn't run since since the the 2019 marathon. Wow. Uh, and here we are, almost two years later, and and I you know was in a mental space where I needed that break. I needed something to take my mind off of everything that was going on in the hospital, and so I said yes. And I gave myself eight weeks to train for the New York City Marathon. And I, again, I went out and I did it. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to do it if, even though I wasn't running, I wasn't also continuing to maintain my my health, my fitness, and um, and be ready to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And and that's the other you know benefit to living a healthy life. And and since then, over the last year, um, you know, kind of double down through nutrition and uh mindset and and wellness and other activities as well and you know i think they all go go hand in hand with each other and and so you can't it's like a three-legged stool to me between physical fitness mental fitness and then nutrition and if any one of those are not optimized you know the stool the stool tips over and so um that's the way i've been living my life for give me the three things again physical fitness nutrition and what was the third one and mental. Good. Okay, good. I was like, I hope you said wellness. something about I hope you said something about mental, <laughs> mental wellness or, or yes. mindset. I just Mind- like yeah. I want to th- I want to thank you here because uh you know it one of the things I love about this show is that we're getting folks on, right? And 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 I I hate to I refer to somebody as like a quote unquote regular person. They're like, I'm not regular, I'm crazy, or listen that, but like we're all like we're all like regular people, right? I mean, most of us are not Richard Branson, you know, uh skydiving off hot air balloons and going on our private islands, right? We're mostly regular people. And what I love here is like to hear you, right? Somebody who's achieved an enormous amount of success in like uh, in the like the business world, right? Like a corporate in a court from a corporate standpoint, right? Um, who says like I was 40 pounds overweight. And I think some people might change their story, Michael. I think some people might say I got into this Navy SEAL boot camp and burpees and this. You're like, I joined Weight Watchers, man. And like, I want our audience to hear like, there's a humility there. There's a, an honesty there that said like, I didn't have it all figured out. And I went to somebody and they helped me figure it out. And now I have a, a new perspective. And so thank you for, for giving that, giving that to our audience. And thank you for giving it, giving it to me, man. Um, I know you're a big, big Oh, of course. I know you're a big traveler. Uh, you got a, uh, not a ton of time left, but talk to what's the coolest place you've been to and what was, uh, and what was the greatest experience when you were there? That's tough. Um, <laughs> it's tough. And, you know, we keep trying to outdo the last one. I have to say, um, Antarctica was, was kind of life-changing, you know, really? to, so, so in order to get to Antarctica, you have to, sail across the world's most dangerous waters for two days and then what, you have what to is come that back. what water what body of water is that it's called the drake's passage and okay. it's where the it's where the atlantic ocean the pacific ocean and the southern ocean converge and the reason it's dangerous is because each each one of those oceans have their own current but also it's a part of the world where there is no landmass to to cut the wind 
And so mm. it's basically like hurricane level conditions all the time. And so mm. the seas are rough, the winds are rough. And, you know, you're kind of sitting on the ship hoping it just stays together. And, wow. And that experience. For two straight days. Two straight days. Right. And so. By the way, I just got to say as a side note, when I was growing up, there was only four. There were only four oceans. And now there's the Southern Ocean <laughs> as well. I was working with my my oldest on some geography. And he's like, yeah, five oceans. I'm like, no, dude, four. The Southern Ocean is now. Yeah. I don't know when the, this became. An I ocean, don't know. But. I don't know when they named it either, but, um, <laughs> right? but I, I, you know, I kind of cringed when I was saying it because I'm not 100% certain it's accepted yet. But uh, well, listen, they're teaching it in my kids' school. So um, anyway, I'll, let's get back to the point. So you're going across the body of water for two days and then you get to Antarctica. What's that like? It's 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 again, uh, I'm just going to use the word magical. Right. So you go through all these rough seas and then all of a sudden the water's calm and then there's they're like islands, ice islands, uh, you know, before you get to the actual land. And number one, you're kind of just thankful that you're through the rough seas. But then the other part of it is, you know, the time of year that we went, there really wasn't a sunset, but it was probably, I feel like it was like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And there was like a twilight kind of lighting outside and it just looked majestic. Um, this is probably a stupid question. Do, do people people don't live in Antarctica? People they don't have homes there, correct? There are um, people who care for parts of Antarctica. Okay, uh, scientists, different types of sure, sure, yeah, yeah, jobs that, that that are there. I don't, I don't think that there's a an indigenous people, that, right? Um, like they don't have a mailman, right? Actually, there's a post office. Um, is there? There really is. Um, okay, we, we were able to see it. We didn't stop there because. It was closed because the person who had worked there, um, it was still shut down for the pandemic. But um, but I get they, they do have a post office. Yeah. Wow. Holy uh, cow. But so, uh, but it was it was incredible. Right. And so it's nature in, in, in some of its purest form. You have you have whales that are in the area. There are tens of thousands or millions of penguins. And when you go on land. And you, you know, you're just in these colonies of penguins and they are not afraid of you. If anything, they're curious. You're not allowed to approach them, but you can come say like within, you know, a couple of meters of them, but then they just walk up to you and they want to know, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? What, you know, what's going on? And, um, and it's just, it's, it's just magical to stand there amongst like, you literally could be inside a circle of 10,000 penguins. Wow. Um, and then wow. you see. You see, um, what was it? The it's uh, leopard seal. I think they said is the second, the world's second most dangerous mammal. Really? Oh, so, and so to get from the ship that you're on, the boat that you're on, to land, you have to take these zodiac boats, like a navy seal. And at any given moment, a leopard seal could snatch you from the boat and tear you to <laughs> shreds. Um, and so it's, you know. It's just it's just an incredibly different place. And there's something special about, you know, stepping foot on on a piece of land or ice that no other person has ever stood on before um, and maybe never will again. And it's just it was just incredible. And, and there was peace in that. And and for the first time in my life, I had gone on this vacation where I was no longer uh, obligated to be on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so. I didn't have to worry. This is, you know, for the first time in my life, I didn't have to worry about about a phone call from the hospital. 
about something that was going on while being in the middle of a magical moment with my family. And so I was able to be a hundred percent present and that was, um, and a hundred percent connected to them. And that was priceless. And so that's probably what makes Antarctica aside from the challenge of getting there and, and the beauty of it, that's what makes it the most valuable trip. I think that I've, I've been on so far. Our, uh, our last guest talked about a trip that she has planned to, to Italy coming up. I, uh, I, this is a, a personal growth area for me as around travel, um, especially with young kids, especially with a child with a pretty severe disability. I think I've kind of put travel on the back burner. I also travel all the time for work. Uh, and so there's a, for me, there's something really kind of settling and, and nice about being home, but I appreciate you sharing your story, man. It is, uh, it is inspiring. And I, I think, uh, when I'm thinking about my 2023, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get you out of here on this question. But when I'm thinking about my 2023, I'm thinking there needs to be some some travel on there. And so, Michael, quickly, if you can, because this is a, a probably a multi a multi part answer. But what would a successful 2023 look like for you if it was December 31st, 2023, right now? What would you say that you've done uh, that would have made it successful a successful year i would measure success in 2023 in several buckets uh the first being what i prioritize the most which is family the reason i had left my uh my incredibly unbelievably you know uh uh life um dream job i'll say uh was to connect with my family in a new and innovative way as, as i've talked a little bit about and as a father of two uh two teenage daughters my success barometer at the end of next year is that they don't um they don't see us as parents that they would push away like most teenage daughters will do mm. and that they'll want to see us um as the type of people that they want to be around and they don't mind their friends being around and so uh that takes work and time and energy and and uh that would be a successful side of the family dynamic for 2023 on the professional side um as we've talked about, walk alongside leader, I think can make a very significant impact in industries across the country and really start to change the narrative around what do we expect from our leaders and, mm. and how can we help companies retain their employees, attract employees and, and perform better from all business operating principles um, by, changing it, by changing that definition of leadership. And then on the health and wellness side of things, it's um, continuing on this journey that I've been on for I guess it's 13 years now and uh, continuing to live every year to be um, in the best shape of my life. I love it, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inspiring, certainly inspiring me. I, I know that you inspired our audience as well. Your humility and your passion for uh, fitness and leadership uh, and family are, are things that just kind of, you know, ooze out of you. Uh, to, you probably don't think of the word ooze in a, in a nice way coming from a hospital, but really, man, it's uh, it really is uh, inspiring as, as all anything for me. And can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Uh, Michael, where can people find you on social media? And particularly if folks want to find out more about Walk Alongside Leader, where can they where can they look you up? Yeah, so you can find me on uh, at walkalongsideleader.com. Um, and then you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Michael H. Goldberg. And Michael, I just oh, want to say um, yeah. 
how much you inspire me every day when when uh, when I see what you're out there doing and how you're making a difference in the lives and the industries that you're in. And I, I appreciate our friendship and bringing me on. And so I wish you all the best. I appreciate it, Michael. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate the kind words. Thanks for being on the show, folks, for Michael and for the team at Rebel Culture. I'm Michael Sonberg. Thank you for joining us. Tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Inspiration Accelerator. Until then, have an awesome week, everybody. See ya. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Please look out for a new episode with a new guest every week. This was the Inspiration Accelerator with Michael Sonberg.